Pesci in crucis, de limicis nostis, libros Deus noster, in nomine di Pazzi Fidi, Pitu Santi, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. One of the Psalms uh, that we come across frequently in the breviary is uh, Psalm 116, which uh, expresses David's wonderment at what can he do for all that God has done for him. Quid retribuam domino pro omnibusque retribuit me? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness, for all his favors to me? And he says, Calicem salutaris acipiam et nomen domini imbocabo. I will lift up the cup of salvation. Calicem salutaris, the chalice of salvation, the, the, the chalice that God has given me, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. But it led him to think, you know, what can I do? Quid retribuam, domino, what can I do for the Lord? Like a, like a question that he searched and searched for. How can I render to the Lord all that he's really given me, for all that he has done for me? And he feels quite uh, indebted to God. And so he resolves to pay him back by grabbing hold of the cup of salvation, which was an act of worship. That's what the cup of salvation really really refers to. In fact, it's the only place in the Bible that refers, that uses that exact expression. And it is a reference to a ritual libation of wine and of oil that is poured out in thanksgiving for being saved from death. So that's the idea of a sacrifice. Imagine you prepare with your vineyard this beautiful cup, this beautiful wine, and it's been well prepared. You know, the, the grapes have been pressed, and, and now you have this amazing cup with this amazing wine. Everybody's ready to drink it. But instead, you think, well, we're all here ready to drink in this party, but the only one who really deserves this is the Lord. So we'll give some to the Lord. And the way you do that, you just pour it out onto the ground. This amazing, expensive wine. And the thought being, okay, is that we pour it out onto the ground and don't have it for ourselves. Well, it is the Lord. It's, like a, it's a way they give it to the Lord. It goes like into another world. Same with the, this beautiful, precious oil. You, know, you give it, you, you sacrifice it. You don't get it, but the Lord will drink it. The Lord will receive that oil. Just like when you're numerous people and you have only one bottle of wine, well, not everybody can have you know, a huge cup. You just take, you know, everybody gets a little bit of the cup so that uh, you share it. And so that libation is like a form of sharing with the Lord. 
And uh, of course, this was a context, and imagine they came very, very close to death in battle or other dangers. And you just want to thank the Lord for saving you. You know, at, at times, uh, we know we have all these options for the masses that we can use when there's uh, memorials and things that are open, and we can celebrate uh, votive masses on certain days. Uh, there's also masses uh, of, for, on, for various needs, uh, you know, different needs, public needs. You can you know, pray for uh, uh, you know, a political leader. You can pray for the bishop. You can pray for an anniversary of some kind, the priest himself. Uh, you, know, you can pray for the harvest and things like that. We had recently the, the prayer or the mass for the pandemic. And of course, among those various needs, we have, of course, the Mass of Thanksgiving. They can give thanks for the harvest, uh, now as we do on Thanksgiving Monday, special Mass of Thanksgiving. You can give thanks for an anniversary. And as you know, we usually use the Mass of Thanksgiving for the anniversary of the establishment of the prelature by Pope John Paul II on November 28th. And there, you know, you, you're thanking God for something good that he has given you. And so... The missile has several options, but, you know, you write down in the order, okay, Mass of Thanksgiving, Anniversary of the Prelature, okay, Mass of Thanksgiving, and you just go into it, say the opening prayer, and in front of me in the missile I have option A, option B, whatever, I'm just going to go, what does it matter, just take option A, until you realize maybe that wasn't the best option, because... The option A says, Father of mercies, you always answer your people in their sufferings. No, we're talking about the anniversary of the prelature here. In their sufferings. We thank you for your kindness. You who have freed us from all evil. <laughs> that we may serve you in the happiness of all days. And then, and then the, the prayer of the gifts. Lord, you gave us your only son to free us from death and from every evil. Mercifully accept this sacrifice in gratitude for saving us from our distress. So it sounds like people who have just been shipwrecked or something, right? Like they're, they, they were in distress in a storm or something. That's option A. Option B, remember, massive thanksgiving for the prelature. Option B. It says, God and Father of all gifts, we praise you, the source of all we have and are. Teach us to acknowledge always the many good things your infinite love has given us. Help us to love you with all our strength. See, there it's acknowledging good things, not necessarily salvation from evil or from dangers. And then the prayer over the gifts. Lord, we offer you this sacrifice of praise for all that you have given us, even though we are unworthy of your love. May we always use your many gifts to bring glory uh, to your name. So, so that's, that's what we would say when we consider anniversaries of good things, maybe the anniversary of our vocation, anniversary for a priest, for the ordination of his priesthood, anniversary of the prelature, and so many, many, many good things. Now, in the old liturgy, when you look it up a bit, you see that the old liturgy tended to emphasize the debt that we owe to God for all the good that he has done. So, God has done some good, so we are in debt to him. Even like 
I'm not sure exactly when this was done because I don't celebrate the old uh, the old uh, liturgy or anything. But, but like, um, even before communion, right, when the priest is preparing himself, the priest would thank God before receiving communion. Like he thanks already before, meaning that for him, communion would be the best way to pay his debt for the sacrifice of the cross. You know, like <coughs> receiving communion is a, is, is a way of paying the debt. And that's why he would say, like I will now uh, grasp or hold or receive the chalice, the cup of salvation, and invoke the name of the Lord. Because by receiving communion, it's like the best way to kind of pay the debt to, to the Lord in order to join in the sacrifice of Christ. And perhaps that's why also in the prayers of preparation for Mass, you know, there, there are you know, uh, prayers that invite the person you know, to, to pay the vows to the Lord before all his people right? in thanksgiving by preparing oneself for communion. But in the end, regardless of what we do and think today, somewhere in our life, there has to be a kind of a vow, a vow of gratitude, of thanksgiving, like a promise, I will habitually give you thanks, kind of an openness to acknowledge all that I have received in my life. This could be a very important and deep disposition that we want to acquire. A vow is a kind of promise to always have and maintain that disposition of thanksgiving in my life, in my vocations, for my very limbs, for my sight, for the good things that I have. But it's a vow of thanksgiving that also applies to pain, to hardship, to suffering, to tiresome work. Because why do we give thanks only for the good, also for the, for the apparently bad things? Because thanks be to God, we can tease out meaning in those difficult things. You know, when our father first saw the work and he had that illumination, the first thing he did is that he knelt down and he gave thanks to the Lord. He wrote, Conmovido me arrodillé y di gracias al Señor. He wrote that later on in his Apuntes Intimos there in the intimate notes from 1930. Conmovido, I was moved. And I gave thanks. But he would also extend that thanksgiving uh, to difficulties. You know, like, today you'll read the passage in the Way of the Cross there from Sixth Station, when Veronica wiped the face of Jesus. Our Father comments on being grateful for the blows that we receive in our life as though they were caresses. I mean, to me, there's a big difference between a blow being struck and being caressed. It's obviously a huge difference. 
when somebody slaps you and when somebody caresses. But he says, referring to this way of the cross, this station, may we be always giving thanks. Ut gratiarum semper actione maneamus. May we be always giving thanks. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for everything. For what goes against me, for what I don't understand, for the things that make me suffer. The blows are necessary to hack away what is superfluous from the huge block of marble. That is how God sculpts the image of his son in souls. Be grateful to God for those caresses. So it's a caress because it is sculpting something in us that must in the end be beautiful, which is the image of his son. But why call these hardships caresses? A chisel, a hammer blow is not the same as a caress. A hammer blow, of course, in the end reveals something hidden inside, something that otherwise you would not see. But it is a caress because he does not want to leave us as an inert and rough-hewn block that can't be exhibited. Just a block. When we come to the end of our life, are we just going to be like a, a kind of useless block of marble that is not even good quality? Or will we have allowed our Lord to sculpt something in us? He's not shielded us from pain, but that pain are the blows, the chisel marks that envelop us in purpose. Perhaps the, the most famous image or story that you, I'm sure you're familiar with the, that helps underline this is, is the story of the block of marble that was used by Michelangelo for his David in Florence. The Duomo Committee, the Committee of the Cathedral, back in the mid or early uh, 15th century had originally commissioned an, a few artists to sculpt both biblical prophets and Hebrews uh, excuse, and, uh, and heroes of the Bible and other heroes to line the top of the cathedral there. And one of the famous ones was Donatello. He was known for bronze statues and in the end he did um, you know, a large statue of um, Joshua and then he did another one of Hercules. He didn't do it in marble, they just painted it to make it look like marble. But then the only hero that they wanted that was left was David. And so they had acquired a massive slab, but the slab was just lay there for 25 years, really, literally. One guy started, but he said, ah, this is no good, this marble is poor quality. And he just abandoned. In fact, he started shaping the, the legs, but ah, this is, there's no room. The quality of the marble is bad. In fact, modern scientists later looked it up and, or you know, analyzed it. Indeed, it's, it's poor marble. Then another guy looked at it and said, no. This, so two guys started, and there this slab lay for 25 years. So in 1512, Michelangelo, he's 26 years old, you know, 26-year-old, good humor, grace of God and nothing else, as our father would say. He, he, he takes his turn, and of course, he, bring, he brings this sorry block of marble back to life. 
something that was literally dead. It was a thin piece of marble, so you could not have a sword in David's hand. But, you know, he managed to do it in different ways. Like he exaggerated the size of the hand, the look of the eyes and the gaze was much deeper in the head. The head was larger, all because it would be seen from on high. In the end, they didn't place it on the top of the cathedral. They placed it in the academy, so it would be lower. Instead, it would have been too heavy anyway. But, but he made really the most iconic sculptor, sculpture with poor material. And imagine how the, you know, the, the committee of the Duomo in Florence, how thankful they must have been to Michelangelo for having created such an iconic piece. It's like not work. I mean, it's the source of huge tourist uh, dollars now, right? I mean, he used poor, poor marble that just sat around. And now the greatest tourist attraction practically in the whole world. We are poor material. Maybe others have tried to do something, our teachers, others, but God using those people around us, our brothers, our friends, the means of formation, the word of God in scripture, good souls around us, our parents, good example, all those things, the hardships, the sickness, isn't it true that all those things forge me into the apostle that the church needs today? So just let's start with that, you know. Can I give thanks to God for what has been sculpted so far? Or am I still in some way seeing myself as a poor block of marble that nothing has been done with. That, that would mean that we would be ungrateful for everything we have received. Do I realize that the truth that I have been chosen for a specific mission in the church is a fruit of God's, God's will, God's providential plan for me? And he has chosen specific tools to sculpt me that's why, I mean, it's the only way I can see that it really would be, those sculpture blows would really be a kind of a caress because it's an expression of special love of God. Have I raised up the chalice of salvation? Truly, to say, I'm going to pour out this chalice for you, Lord, in thanksgiving, not keep it all for me. The same image of the chalice or the cup is present in the passage of James and John when the Lord asks them, are you ready to drink the chalice that I'm going to drink? Right? In other words, to share in my suffering, in my redemptive mission. And there they say, they acknowledge, yes, we can. We can drink that chalice that the Lord freely offered us in his goodness, that free offering, sometimes to drink that bitter chalice. The posthumus, yeah, is an expression of docility and openness and thanksgiving to God's salvific plan for me. 
Are we like those lepers in the gospel, those ten lepers? Only one returned to give thanks to the Lord. And that moment is striking. You know, our, our Lord sees that one guy come back, but he speaks as though he was expecting everybody to come back and give thanks. Like it was like an expectation. He says, we're not ten, the ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? It's like a, a word of lament for the lack of recognition, acknowledgement of God's hand in this. Do I not recognize God's hand in my life enough? And one way of recognizing that is giving thanks to God, not to myself. Lord, I, I really want to be a good leper, like that good leper who changed his behavior. Maybe the others were used to being ostracized. Now they've been cleansed and therefore could now be in a society with others. They could take their role. They could, they could be in their family. But they still stayed away from thanksgiving, of acknowledging, now why am I here now in my family for this? Because this cure of their leprosy would have also affected their family, would have affected their work, because now they could work, they could be like with everybody else, with their life. But somehow they only accepted it for themselves and, and didn't think or, or didn't, think it was necessary to give thanks because they lost a sense of their role. They'd been perhaps too isolated for too long. In that famous uh, Spanish novel, Don Quixote de la Mancha, Don Quixote tells Sancho, his sidekick, he says to him, sometimes pretty pretty good things. He says uh, to Sancho, the greatest sins among men is not pride, as is usually said, but, he says, lack of thanksgiving or simply thankful unthankfulness or ingratitude. He says that hell is full of those who are ungrateful. And he tells him how he tries to flee from this sin of unthankfulness. He tells him he always tries to express his thanks. And inevitably, you know, you can't be thankful to others, to God, to life. You cannot be thankful and at the same time be unhappy. If you're un that means that if you're unhappy, perhaps it's because somewhere along the line we've been ungrateful. We haven't exercised that spirit of gratitude. And this is something that has a, a, a merely human dimension, but for us it's ratcheted up to a, a supernatural dimension. You know the story of this Jewish woman in Holland from during the Holocaust, Etty Hellisheim. 
and how she had a complicated life of great upheavals and problems and moral quandaries in her life but how she developed a deep sense of gratitude you know, even when she died at the age of 29 after being deported she had initially lived a fairly ordinary life but then seeing the situation grow so dim so grim in, in Holland for the Jews you know, her, her fellow Jews uh, those who were forced to wear the Star of David she, she began to find different ways of living a sense of solidarity but eventually she was arrested and she was sent to Westerbork uh, concentration camp in northeastern uh, Netherlands and while she was there they, they found this later you know, a passage from her diary she wrote this is an amazing passage it's like her addressing to God she says you have made me so rich O God please let me share out your beauty with open hands my life has become an uninterrupted dialogue with you O God one great dialogue sometimes when I stand in some corner of the camp my feet planted on your earth my eyes raised toward your heaven tears sometimes run down my face tears of deep emotion and gratitude at night too when I lie in bed and rest in you O God tears of gratitude run down my face and that is my prayer and then a little bit later I've been terribly tired for several days but that too will pass things come and go in a deeper rhythm and people must be taught to listen it is the most important thing we have to learn in this life I'm not challenging you O oh Lord my God my life is one of great dialogue with you may I I may never become I may never become the great artist I would like to be but I'm already secure in you O oh God and there she felt at peace even though she was in this great suffering imagine she was able to tap into something that was well beyond her surroundings it's as though a spiritual well had flowed with water as even as she walked through the deepest desert humanly speaking imaginable and her real fear of separation from God the things of this world will eventually pass away sometimes they will pass away in a terrifying fashion but we always have to keep ourselves really deeply rooted in God who transcends all these earthly things and we can find hope and really sustenance in all that we have to face Maybe I just need to return to the essentials here, to Thanksgiving just for life, the life you've given me. Thanksgiving for living here. Thanksgiving, of course, for food, for my breath. It's good for us, really, to live that Thanksgiving 
on this Thanksgiving weekend in a special, unique way. Things that I rarely give thanks for, like the tree in Port Adam, all those things, the fish, the sea, the air, the birds, everything. And uh, there's also feel that joy and that, um, you know, emotion, perhaps, that Eti Hellesheim felt. Because if we are thankful, it's impossible that we be unhappy or lacking peace. The Blessed Mother will intercede for us that we can really say, you know, my life is a life of thanksgiving. Gracias, Tibi Deus. Gracias, Tibi. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.